Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Sheila Wright. <laughs> I'm a member of the City Club's board of directors and honored to introduce today's speaker. He's the co-founder and the board chair of Policy Bridge and the vice president of public affairs and Chief Talent Officer at RPM International, Randall McShepard. <laughs> Questions over the state and future of leadership in Greater Cleveland have recently permeated our, community, our community's dialogue. Many have called attention to, attention to the lack of inclusivity and diversity in corporate, nonprofit, and civic leadership and demanded change. Others have called for a bolder vision from elected officials and others in unofficial leadership roles. In June, Cleveland's African-American think tank, Policy Bridge, added to the conversation with a white paper titled, Missing in Action. Mr. McShepard authored that report and in it argues that the lack of strong leaders in the black community, both in Cleveland and around the country, have left the community acutely vulnerable and underrepresented in key civic dialogue. Mr. McShepard envisions a new leadership model that elevates promising community, business, political, and civic leaders capable of reengaging the black community and protecting it from efforts to suppress its voice and influence. We'll hear more about that vision today. For those of you who may not know this latest speaker in our local Heroes series, Hero series, <laughs> Edit that. <laughs> Let me tell you a little about him. <laughs> a Cleveland native, Randy McShepard worked on non nonprofit workforce management, positions focused on workforce development, economic development, government, community relations, before join joining RPM in 2001. In his current post, he is responsible for managing external and governmental affairs for the $5 billion chemical coatings, com com coatings and paint company. An active community and civic leader, Mr. McShepard is currently serving on several boards in Northeast Ohio and is the immediate past president of the Union Club of Cleveland. He is also the co-founder of the Riddall Green Partnership, an urban farm in Cleveland's Kinsman neighborhood, which includes farm producing tilapia, organic vegetables, and compost. He holds dual bachelor's degrees from Baldwin-Wallace University and a master's degree in urban studies from Cleveland State University. Esteemed guests, members, and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming to the stage Mr. Randall McShepard. Thank you. 
Well, thank you, Sheila, for that wonderful introduction. And good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> it's my sincere pleasure to be here today speaking at the City Club of Cleveland to a sellout crowd. <laughs> Mom, look at me now. <laughs> it's great to see so many friends and colleagues in the audience who I tremendously respect. And I sincerely thank you all for making the time to be here. I must acknowledge my wife, Gail, and my son and daughter, Anthony and Madison, and all my close friends here at the head table. And uh, I'm excited and proud to talk about the recently released Policy Bridge analysis titled Missing in Action. But before I delve into the report, I'd like to say a little bit about Policy Bridge, which is celebrating its 15th anniversary this year. Yes, thank you. The mission of Policy Bridge is to create and sustain high-quality discourse addressing public policy issues affecting African Americans and other disadvantaged populations to enlighten citizens and catalyze action. We have released over 16 publications and coordinated 22 community forums since our inception. We have facilitated public policy advocacy classes, piloted education and leadership programs, conducted and analyzed research, and much more. And for more information on Policy Bridge, please visit us at policybridgeneo.org. Now to transition back to the Missing in Action report, let me start by stating that I have learned that a good number of people that are discussing or debating this report across the city have based their opinions or positions solely on the Plain Dealer article, which gives a limited perspective on the depth and breadth of the full report. By example, I have heard from a few people that the report states that there are no black leaders, which we all know would be a ridiculous thing to assert. Many of them are in the room today. Yes. In light of this discovery, I have hard copies of the report for those of you here who have not, <laughs> yes, who have not had a chance to read it which will be available in the lobby as you exit. The report is also available on our website, policybridgeneo.org. I'd like to open with a quick story that some of you might have heard me share when I was selected as the Black Professional of the Year in 2011. In the year 2000, I was in the 40 under 40 class of Kaleidoscope Magazine. In 2001, Cleveland State University presented me with the Emerging Leadership Award. In 2002, Small Business News included me in an article referencing new business leaders. In 2003, Inside Business listed me as one to watch. In 2004, The Plain Dealer noted me among a group of emerging leaders. After similar acknowledgments and articles in 2005 and the years afterward, on one particular day, I bumped into a fellow named Dennis Roach, who used to head Cleveland's Convention and Visitors Bureau. And after a little small talk, he turned to me and he said, Randy, you've been an emerging leader for about a decade. <laughs> Haven't you arrived yet? <laughs> it was funny when he said it, but it actually stuck with me for many years thereafter. Once I became more established or arrived as a leader, and started engaging with other minority professionals, I was struck by the fact that many of our aspiring leaders can in fact remain suspended in a perpetual emerging cycle where they're never seen as anything more than an emerging leader with potential, 
while never getting the chance to prove what they can do or contribute to the community. And over time, unfortunately, I saw many of those young leaders disengage or simply move away. That sparked the idea for this report several years ago. Coupled with that issue was another concern that inspired this report, which stemmed from the question, where are the black leaders? Which I have been personally asked numerous times over the last 10 to 15 years. Oftentimes, the individuals that posed the question were trying to find minorities for nonprofit board seats, or in other cases, they might have been referencing civic leadership posts or nonprofit or corporate leadership positions. Whatever the case, we all know that there are myriad reasons why black leaders are not always easily identified or chosen for <coughs> leadership roles, which is frankly debilitating to our city. So I concluded that someone, someone needed to explain the challenges of black leadership, including how we got here and where we need to go, and that someone was me. The report titled Missing in Action was released in June with much fanfare and has generated what I will call provocative discussion. <laughs> Thanks in part to the Sunday front page coverage provided by the Plain Dealer. I'd like to recap the report with a focus on two important sections. The first section defines four categories of leadership and explains how African Americans engage in each followed by a description of what I consider to be seven critical leadership characteristics or success determinants that help or hinder black leadership. Keep in mind as you listen to these remarks that black community leadership issues are not new, nor are they unique to the city of Cleveland. We could have the same discussion in any number of urban core cities across the country. Please also note that leadership in Northeast Ohio is not a challenge that is limited to the black community. We all know that the white community has experienced many, if not most, of the same challenges. But missing in action is focused on the black community for the reasons aforementioned. The report addresses four categories of leadership, political, business, civic, and community. These categories are important to know because if an individual can understand each of them in depth, they will be better positioned to successfully navigate the terrain and get things done. When young people approach me to say that they want to be a leader, I often suggest that they pick one of these categories to master as a first step, as being a leader in all four categories is rare and takes a long time. The first area that is probably the most controversial and challenging to navigate is political leadership. As we all know, the civil rights movement and the right to vote led to black politicians being elected at a fast clip. As a result, black elected officials, and I'm going back several decades now, attained power quickly. And it took several years for the other leadership categories, civic, business, and community, to catch up. And as a result, we had a small number of political leaders who co-opted the leadership roles and responsibilities for all matters pertaining to the black community. I'm not blaming those leaders for standing in the gap until the other categories could catch up nor am I saying that their motives were intentionally deleterious. But I do believe that the challenge emerged when those leaders would not concede any power and became gatekeepers. That's when we started to experience the phenomenon of old guard leaders and the perception that they wanted to maintain control. This became evident as a small number of political leaders became the conduits into the black community for business leaders, civic leaders, and other power brokers that needed to negotiate with the black community. And I believe 
that this caused a long-term problem for black Cleveland because we became so focused on political power that it diverted our attention from concurrently developing economic power. Thank you. All of this created a distrust of the political ecosystem for many. That distrust or disinterest over time led many younger leaders to remove themselves from political circles and neighborhood associations, often choosing to go it alone, perhaps feeling more connected to political information found on social media. The main point here is that there is a need to better engage all citizens in the political process versus having large numbers feeling left out. We are seeing younger elected officials coming on the scene, but we need more and we should be deliberate in our actions to ready them for leadership positions. Business leadership. While there are successful businesses in the black community, we all know that there should be a lot more. And they should be better represented in high demand sectors. By example, Policy Bridge wrote a report a few years ago titled The Fusion of Inclusion, which showed that while technology and IT companies are among the fastest growing in the state of Ohio, only one to 2% of all companies in the field were owned by African-Americans and Latinos. We still have many small black businesses and a majority of which are uh, sole proprietors. And while many of those entrepreneurs are able to sustain their families and enjoy comfortable lifestyles, they most often aren't in a position to step out and lead major initiatives on behalf of the community in the way that a large majority led corporation can. This is not because they don't care but rather because they're most likely focused on running their businesses. C-suite executives of color also have to be careful about if and how they engage in controversial community matters, which can be racially tinged and bring reputational and political risks. All of this is challenging because business leaders play important roles in Cleveland and bring credibility and independent voice to many issues. The main point here is that when sparse numbers of African-Americans are bringing their business perspective to civic leadership discussions, the result is that the plight of African-Americans is not appropriately factored into critical economic development decisions, which hampers opportunities for black communities and the entire city as a whole. Then we have civic leadership. Civic leaders typically address larger scale issues that serve a broader purpose or community or geography. They do not necessarily have to be community leaders, but their decisions often affect communities and neighborhoods. Opportunity Corridor would be an example. They are often appointed or selected based on the large corporations or entities that they lead or work for, which often grants them an instant seat at the table. They work with organizations like Chambers of Commerce, arts and culture organizations, philanthropy and economic development intermediaries. And many go unnoticed because they don't have to be community facing to wield power and influence. Civic leaders lobbied for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Republican National Convention, the bid to attract Amazon headquarters to Cleveland, and for the renovation of Quicken Loans Arena, just to cite a few examples. Civic leaders are critical to a community's progress, but community credibility is not a requirement to be a civic leader. Being a civic leader stems from proven leadership in other areas, especially the business or nonprofit sector, where African-American leaders happen to be underrepresented. Community leadership. Cleveland and most urban core cities have hardworking community leaders who have worked for decades as block club presidents, church leaders, and heads of neighborhood associations. They, are, they know the issues and are passionate and well-respected for their years of commitment to the cause. They are also, in most, case, most cases, battle-tested 
And if you don't believe me, I would encourage you to go to visit a ward club meeting in the Cleveland neighborhood. <laughs> community change is impossible without community leadership. But community leaders are typically dependent on elected officials, businesses, businesses, and philanthropic leaders to provide political and financial resources necessary to move projects forward. Community leadership is a category that has traditionally been open to all and is therefore a good foundation and a safe space for emerging leaders to cut their teeth and learn about organizing, networking, fundraising, and politics. Community leaders are most often associated with leading issues and challenges in their respective neighborhoods, but not as frequently as spokespersons working on behalf of the entire African-American community. The exception to that rule, of course, would be those individuals who advocate for broader issues such as health disparities and social justice. So to summarize this section of the report, each emerging leader should evaluate which of these categories best fits their current circumstances and career status. With these categories of leadership defined, the answer to the pressing question that I referenced earlier, where are the black leaders, should be easier to answer. They are represented in each of these categories. However, if the black community can understand how these categories operate and how they ideally can complement each other, successful outcomes can be achieved. I now move to the seven determinants of success. This next section of the report addresses those seven critical determinants based primarily on my personal experiences and observations over the course of my career. I believe that having as many of these characteristics or tools as possible increases the likelihood of success for African-American leaders. I do believe that these determinants illuminate why there are limited numbers of recognized African-American leaders. To be a leader, you need the following. Credibility in the grassroots community. Winning the trust and respect of the grassroots community is significant and shows that an individual has done enough important work in or on behalf of a neighborhood or a community. This is how elected officials build a base of supporters to get into office, and it is also how community development corporations keep in step with the pulse of the residents. Community credibility is most easily attained through engagement and hard work. So if you want the support of the grassroots community, you need to be known as a doer and a trusted ally. Credibility and civic and corporate circles. We all know that many of our key decisions are made by corporate and civic leaders, as I referenced earlier, and tapping the resources of corporations can be difficult for anyone, even those of us that work for corporations but especially grassroots leaders who might not have the exposure to corporate leaders. With that said, community leaders should make every effort to get to know the players who are at the corporate and civic levels, because even if they can't approach them personally, they can figure out how those companies or leaders might be best leveraged on behalf of the community. Knowledge of the issues. Clevelanders, Clevelanders are not short on ideas and opinions, but one sure way to be respected as a leader is to be an expert on a particular issue or challenge facing our city. Those who can go beyond mere opinion and speak with authority about issues backed with data and real world experience establish immediate credibility. Therefore, sharpening knowledge and deepening one's experience on a particular issue can catapult any leader to the next level. Then we have track record of success. Those who are called repeatedly for leadership positions, whether they like it or not, are those who have been often demonstrated a track record of success. They have consistently delivered on projects and initiatives. 
and are therefore considered proven commodities. The time it takes to reach a point where your work is tested and proven can be a point of frustration for young leaders who often feel that they are overlooked. But emerging leaders should take this as a challenge and know that it, it is the caliber of their work over time that will serve as the best evidence of their capabilities and potential. Next, we have appetite for leadership. There are many smart, capable African-Americans in Cleveland who are exhibiting their talent on a daily basis in corporations, universities, law firms, churches, CDCs, governmental entities, and more, who are often asked to take on leadership posts. However, they choose not to get involved because they simply don't have the interest or would prefer to do without the political strife, the unflattering media coverage, and community ill will that sometimes comes with stepping out on a controversial issue. There's an old saying that no good deed goes unpunished, <laughs> and there is some truth to that. So those seeking leadership roles need to have a real appetite for it, or their leadership run will be short-lived. Then we have autonomy. We have some people out there who have brilliant ideas and perspectives, but cannot speak out because they don't have the political cover at their places of employment, and understandably don't want to lose their jobs for taking a stand on something that has upset the establishment. I have heard many stories of emerging leaders having their jobs threatened because they took a controversial position on a matter that upset a community power broker. This is disheartening because it stagnates progress and kills the spirit of innovation and engagement amongst our young leaders. Therefore, we need to provide cover for emerging minority leaders wherever we can. And seven, and probably most uh, important, courage. Courage is among the most critical determinants of success as a leader. Courage to stand up to leaders who are more powerful. Courage to be quoted or misquoted by media sources. <laughs> courage to endure the likely negative hits to one's community standing and overall reputation. There are many leaders who want to be engaged, but they view community and civic leadership as having more risks than rewards. This is understandable as we all should avoid unnecessary hardships. But I would contend that it is important to remember that every successful leader that I know has at some point needed to show significant courage to take on a challenge, a problem, or an issue. Courage is a key tool that every emerging leader should have in their toolbox. Hopefully all of these determinants shed light on why we might not see as many minority leaders as we would like. Some need political cover. Some are working on building a track record. And others are mustering up courage or making connections with corporate, civic, and community leaders. And some have no interest at all. Whatever the case, I hope this list provides emerging leaders with some direction on how they can begin to chart their leadership journey. At the conclusion of every Policy Bridge report, we traditionally offer some recommendations. The four that were presented in this report included the following. Foster relationships among a broader mix of leaders. Leaders from all four of these categories, business, political, civic, and community, should interact to share ideas and explore opportunities to help each other and to better understand what each group or category is grappling with. Design new outlets that allow minority leaders to be heard. There are needs to be expanded avenues for minority leaders to share their perspectives which could include city club forums, 
Today's attendance confirms there's interest, right? <laughs> um, yes. Thank you, Dan Mothra. Uh, we also need more radio and television programs dedicated to minority issues and sponsored keynotes at nonprofits and universities. Minorities shouldn't have to be in protest mode to get the opportunity to speak publicly about issues affecting their community. Next, incorporate community leadership into high school and college curriculums. Students need to learn at an early age that they can and are expected to be active citizens that seek change in their communities. We all know that the old civics courses are long gone from most school curriculums, but perhaps we could all rally together and do what we can to bring them back in some form. And then uh, we have support civic and community training programs aimed at minority communities. Courses on public policy advocacy should be taught at the neighborhood level and Racial Equity Institute training and community organizing workshops can help to encourage residents to monitor more closely the impact of systemic racism, neighborhood disinvestment, and weak political leadership, and most importantly, what they can do about it. So in a nutshell, that is the Missing in Action Report, which again, I hope that you will read if you haven't already. Copies are available as you, <laughs> excellent. I now want to respond to some of the more common questions or feedback that I have heard or caught wind of around town about this report. The number one question that I've heard, what gives Randy McShepard the authority <laughs> to speak on this topic? <laughs> First of all, It's a fair question, especially for those that don't know me. I don't think authority is the right word, however. I wouldn't say I have the authority, but rather, I have the responsibility to speak on this topic. I would argue that any of us that care about the future of Cleveland has a shared responsibility to develop and mentor those who will someday stand in our shoes. I'm still in too many rooms where I am the only minority or one of a mere few. And that has to change because inclusion is what will help Cleveland and Northeast Ohio to win in the long run. The second most popular question, who is the old guard that Randy McShepard is talking about? I probably took half your questions, right? Well, I'll put it this way. Because I joined my first nonprofit board over 25 years ago, I have to realize that some 25-year-old person out there is looking at me as the old guard. But I don't think it boils down to names, but rather mindset. If those of us with experience are showing ourselves willing to mentor and guide the next generation, we eliminate the perception that we're guarding power, knowledge, and influence. But when we, when we provide limited access, to younger leaders, we fan the flames of the old guard mentality, or the us versus them mentality, which hurts us all. In my experience, emerging leaders want to be involved and therefore should be groomed and supported. The other question that many people have asked is, what inspired you to write this report? Well, several things. Uh, firstly, Policy Bridge from the outset always hoped 
that teeing up important topics in provocative fashion would initiate what we always called a civic awakening of the next generation of leaders. Secondly, I have the unique experience of being fully steeped in all four leadership categories so I can see up close the disconnects as well as the opportunities. Uh, many civic leaders have asked me for help finding black leaders while numerous emerging black leaders have approached me for advice and in counsel on how to become leaders. And lastly, a year ago I was promoted to chief talent officer at RPM, which is a large publicly traded company as you heard from Sheila. I spent some time reflecting on the work that we do to identify, track, coach, train, and evaluate our current and future leaders to ensure that our best and brightest are in position to take on whatever battle lies ahead for our company. I think Cleveland is deserving of that same level of strategy and deliberate action because our future depends on it. So um, there appears to be some community interest in taking action in a few areas, which is encouraging. Several suggestions have been made for a possible civic leadership training program, including a what's in your toolbox component that would cover several of the previously described success determinants. There have also been suggestions for an intermediary organization to play a convening role to bridge generations of African Americans to discuss and prioritize key issues, including leadership. Policy Bridge has been contacted by several civic organizations that want to help and meetings and brainstorming is currently underway. And there has been a renewed interest in the Minority Board Member Pipeline Initiative which trains and matches minority professionals with local nonprofit organizations in partnership with Business Volunteers Unlimited. So as I move to close, I'd like to share some good news, which is that regardless of what I've said up until this point, every one of us that operates in one of the four categories of leadership can do something to spur positive change. If you are a business leader, take on the challenge of recruiting more minorities for senior management and board positions as the power and impact of diverse corporate leadership teams has been well documented. Also, reach out and get to know leaders in the other three categories. If you are a civic leader, take note that 84% of persons sitting on nonprofit boards across the country are white, while we all understand that many, if not most, of the clients that those nonprofit organizations serve are people of color. So demand more diversity on the boards you sit on. If you are a political leader, take the time to groom the next generation of leaders so that they can avoid the pitfalls you encountered along the way. Teach them how to run for office and how to work with constituents and share your wisdom about the process of establishing political cover. And if you are a community leader, help the up and coming leaders in your community to find their way and to be encouraged. Teach them how to speak truth to power and to appreciate all perspectives, not just their own. In closing, I do want to say that the response to this report has been tremendous, and I am excited that the conversation about black leadership is alive and well in our community. I would encourage all of you to continue the conversation in your homes, organizations, and workplaces. And I hope that we, as a city, can work together to build a common vision of becoming a national model for minority leadership, development, and engagement. Now, a friend told me that there's a difference between a vision and a hallucination. <laughs> and that difference is the number of people that see it. <laughs> so I hope that we all share this vision.
thank you all for attending uh, today's forum, which is critically important to Cleveland and many other cities across the country. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. For our radio audience, that's the sound of an extended standing ovation. Uh, I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive here at the City Club. Today, we're enjoying a forum with Randall McShepard. He's board chair of Policy Bridge. He's co-founder of Policy Bridge. He's also vice president of public affairs and chief talent officer at RPM International Incorporated. We're about to begin our audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those of you joining us via radio broadcast with WCPN or our live stream. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it at the City Club, and our staff will work it into the program. Holding our microphones today are content coordinator Bliss Davis and City Club intern Remy Orsanya. May we have the first question, please? Good afternoon, Randy. I have read the report, and I appreciate you and Policy Bridge over the years uh, putting the report, putting this report and other reports together. Yes, sir. Um, my question to you is. Um, after a young black man got shot in Cincinnati, the leadership in Cincinnati got together and said this will never happen again, and they brought civic and community and business leaders together. After a 13-year-old boy in Cleveland, Tamir Rice, got shot and killed, we went back to the status quo. My question to you is, the difference was in Cincinnati now, because I'm quite sure you read it, the Linden Tree just came out with their report of the top 50 cities for minorities to do business in. Cincinnati was ranked 10th. Cleveland was ranked 48th. But yet your report says that we need to hold forms and utilize the same apparatus such as City Hall and the Greater Cleveland Partnership. Two organizations ran by two individuals that have been on the same platform for over 60 years. So is there a contradiction in moving to a new apparatus that you talk about, but yet your report says, let's continue to use the same apparatus? Well, good question, Zach. Um, I don't think we can afford to be a one-trick pony. Uh, we need many, many organizations, institutions, et cetera, to participate in any type of solution. Uh, City Hall is City Hall, and uh, last I checked, it's still the governing body for the city of Cleveland, so whether we like it or not, that's one entity that we should be using and leveraging to solve city problems. The same is true for Greater Cleveland Partnership. They're the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we can all debate whether or not we think they're effective or not, but until there is some other apparatus built, they are in place. They are receiving uh, dues from major corporations like RPM and others to do a job. So um, the report recommendation listed those two entities as a couple that should be considered for the dialogue, but certainly it wasn't meant to be the exhaustive list of who should be at the table. Uh, so uh, I, I would leave it with that, that um, there are many other organizations out there, and if, if they, it's probably time for them to step up and be counted and uh, to be a part of the solution, is what I would suggest. Just listening to you today certainly gives you the authority to make the statements that you have been making. To be recognized as a leader, 
in this day and age requires a great deal of publicity and knowledge in the community. Last week here at the City Club, Dee Haslam was the speaker, co-owner of the Cleveland Browns. She spoke at some length of the efforts the Browns are making to, uh, for inclusion and diversity, uh, which at least in the football world seems to have had some success, but it's taken an awfully long time to get uh, minority coaches and front office personnel. I'm thinking, however, of the players, the young guys. In the ancient world, the winners of the Olympics were automatically the leaders of their communities. Is there any uh, program that you are aware of that incorporates uh, some efforts to uh, encourage, shall we say, uh, successful athletes? You look at what LeBron James has done in Akron, and that is absolutely marvelous. Can we get others of these young men focused on something other than their football careers, which are likely to be rather short-lived? Yeah, good question. I, I haven't researched that, and I'm, I learned at an early age uh, or early in the game of being a think tank that you don't say a whole lot about things you haven't researched. But I can tell you one example uh, in Cleveland that I think is doing that, and that would be the Ginn Academy and Coach Ginn. And uh, what he's... He's been all about teaching those athletes that it's a lot more than sports. And um, a lot of the young men that have gone on to make it to the NFL uh, have carried those lessons with them and I think are uh, a bit more philanthropic than perhaps some of their peers. But uh, that, that is one school that I can say I've visited, I've talked to the students, I've talked to the teachers, I've talked to Coach Ginn, and I know that's a, a message that he conveys day in and day out. Thank you for being here. Um, just wanted to ask a question about gender and how it is uh, a factor in these, in these discussions. Uh, and this is not to say that I haven't had peer support and mentor support from men in the community, but when it comes down, you know, after my mother, the people who've given me the most support uh, in terms of mentors have been uh, County Councilwoman Cheryl Stevens and, and Rep Janine Boyd and these women who have, you know, basically made it possible, or made me think it was possible to advance uh, sort of politically, advance professionally, that kind of thing. And so I wanted to know, in your experience, how does gender play a role in that? Are, are black men doing the same mentorship for black women? And because and I know historically black women have been, you know, thrust into the supporting role a lot of times. And um, so I wanted to know, are we, are, we, are we returning the favor that I know I've benefited from? Well, I... All right. Well, I can uh, only speak for myself when I say, <laughs> if you are a black woman in this room that I've ever mentored in any form or fashion, please stand. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I did that just to say that I certainly have always tried to mentor women, men, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Um, I think the, the mentorship problem is just a, a bigger issue. Um, it depends on who you're connected with. Um, you mentioned some great people and uh, they're just naturally uh, gifted that way and want to reach back and help. I think that um, I would take that as a challenge maybe to black men to remember that there are younger black men out there that want that kind of support and mentorship. 
And we all can do better, and uh, we all can do more. And our community des deserves it. I like to say that this isn't uh, sit on the sidelines uh, time frame in our city and our country. We all need to be involved. And if black men uh, are looking for mentors and leaders, I can promise you there are some phenomenal black men in this room that if you stop and talk to just about anyone in here, you'll find uh, that they'll be willing to help. So, you know, we, we got a chance to chat a little bit before yes. you came on stage. I think the room would be remiss not to know that I am not from Cleveland and I am a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Oh, oh, oh. Now that's courage, that's courage. <laughs> but watch this, watch this. Originally from New York City, you all are doing so much in Cleveland right now that an hour ago I flew in from Charlotte just to have lunch here. And I wanted you to know that First of all, no one's hallucinating because we're all seeing this vision together. And what you all are doing in Cleveland is going to spread out to the rest of the country. You do have the authority. And then the last thing that I want to say is this. I'm so glad the gentleman stood up and said something about female leadership because the whole entire time I kept thinking about the Me Too movement and I kept thinking about all the sisters that are in the room right now. And I was thinking about how many people you've probably single-handedly inspired today. So um, I just want to say Cleveland, guess what? It's bigger than athletics. Yes, I think the Browns are probably going to go to the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> I believe that, but it's bigger than athletics. So I just wanted to say thank you. As an outsider, thank I you. want you to know you're right. There are a lot of strong black men in this country trying to do some big things, and it's starting here with you, so thank you. All thank right. you so much. Appreciate Appreciate it. It. Uh, good afternoon. Oh, hi. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> First, I want to publicly thank you, Randy, for coming to speak to my students when I was teaching. Yes. Um, you really inspired a lot of young people. I um, am Merle Johnson. I'm on the Ohio Board of Education, and I always talk about the importance of student voice. Yes. Uh, years ago in Cleveland, every middle school and high school had a student council. They also had citywide student council meetings. Yeah. where student council reps actually came to the Board of Education building and talked and brought ideas from their classmates and actually had a chance to make changes. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, don't know why, okay, and I'm not being critical, but I'm just concerned about uh, the lack of students when we look at leadership. Uh, rather than, you know, look past the 20-year-olds. What do you say about putting you know, teenagers, 18-year-olds, and so forth, on these boards and so forth. Many cities are putting students on their school boards. Yes. And I'm um, looking forward to Cleveland eventually doing that. But what do you say about putting, looking at teenage leadership so that we can grow that leadership? I love the idea. And, and, and I want to work with you and others, Merle, to bring student council back to the public schools. I mean, uh, that's a travesty. It really is. I did not know that we no longer had uh, student council. But um, there are a lot of organizations that have in most cases, junior boards that are more, more of the 20-somethings. 20, 20 but uh, I think it would be interesting to start to look at even getting high school students to sit on boards. I mean, it wouldn't hurt anything. They would be in a room and get to know some of the movers and shakers around town and I think give them a lot of confidence moving forward. So um, a fair point. Hi, Randy. Hello. <laughs> when you mention political cover, you got a rousing applause here. And I know that a lot of times through mentorship and um, ways to proactively address political cover, um, as we are 
transitioning to a, hopefully a better leadership structure here in Cleveland, things happen. Yes. And um, how can we, I think, versus the individual way, look at a collective way to deal with providing cover when it's needed almost in real time? Because we've lost a lot of good voices because of this very specific reason in town. So what can we do, especially us more seasoned people, to address this issue? Well, I think we need to come together and have the conversation, uh, an open, honest conversation about the fact that people that would otherwise be uh, likely to step up aren't because they feel that there's a lot of a pressure that will come their way and to figure out how we can provide that cover. Um, it could be as easy as uh, you know mentoring, but it could be something more comprehensive around um, stepping out with some young people with big ideas to say, they're not offering this as a sole individual. You have a group of people standing with them. They have the idea and the vision, but we certainly support it. I don't think we do that enough. Um, I always say to people that leadership is lonely. Um, there are many times when people said, if you go out and do it, you know, we'll be there for you. And, and when it got hot and I turned around, <laughs> nobody was there. So we have to stop running away when it gets difficult and challenging. That's when you stand together, right? So uh, that's hopefully something that we'll start to do more of here in Cleveland. Thanks for the question. So being a successful leader isn't linear. So can you share an example of a lesson learned from what others seem to be a failure that you leveraged to um, catapult you into, you know, to being a strong leader? A failure that catapulted me, wow, uh, how much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> um, I think, um, let's see, being uh, in a place where I've started um, several nonprofit organizations, um, some of them didn't do so well, um, some of them had to be closed down, uh, others continued to move forward, but I think um, you can't be discouraged because not every entity that you touch or everything that you're involved with will, will succeed. Uh, Quite frankly, it's been very, very challenging to raise money for Policy Bridge. A lot of funders backed away and said, ah, oh, we supported you for a few years, uh, now it's over. So um, I think um, I would say just being involved in initiatives and organizations that didn't have a long life, and um, you know, I personally don't look at those necessarily as failures, I just look at those as uh, learning opportunities so that the next time I try it, I'll at least know a few more tricks to uh, see it through. But I think um, you raise a very important point that we all will have failures, especially as we uh, rise to be uh, leaders. And uh, we can't let those difficult times and those setbacks uh, hold us back. We have to keep, keep going, keep pushing, keep climbing. Uh, every leader can tell you horror stories about things they had to go through. Um, but it's worth it because our community is worth it. Well, first of all, Randy, thank you for assuming the responsibility for raising this very important issue. Thank you. And I remember a conversation that you and I had several years ago in which you told me that in the course of one year, you had been invited to sit on some 22 boards. Yes. Um, which was pretty amazing, except for the fact that you were the only African-American leader that most of these nonprofit boards knew, and so they came to you. That's right. So the issue of visibility is, is critical, and I think you've raised some, some ideas about how existing leaders can diversify boards, diversify staff. But what advice would you give to the young leaders who are here in the room today about how to raise their visibility? That's an excellent question. Barbara Danforth, who was the epitome of 
community leadership and visibility. Um, I think um, we uh, have to understand as young leaders that if you want change, you have to be a part of the solution. You have to put yourself out there. Um, a lot of people get frustrated that they're not as known as they would like to be, but when you ask, well, what are you doing or what organizations are you involved with, they have a very short list, if any, at all. So, um, you know, no organization is too small, but you have to start somewhere. And as I referenced in the report, it, the easiest way or point of entry would be community leadership. So my first, my very, very first board was a, a fair housing uh, organization. And, uh, you know, I was in my 20s and, you know, didn't know much about boards, and, but I learned a ton and eventually uh, worked my way up to become the chair of that board and uh, never looked back from that point. Um, talk to elected officials, talk to civic leaders, talk to business leaders, find out what's going on. You don't always have to join a committee, but sometimes it's just a good thing to be in the room um, uh, so that people start to see you and get familiar with, oh, I, I met you before, and you know, collect business cards, keep in touch with people, um, join associations, everything doesn't have to be expensive, um, but it's worth it because um, in Cleveland, it's all about who knows who, and who's, who's comfortable with this person or that person. So the more you can put yourself in front of those individuals, the better chance you'll have of um, getting some, some visibility. And don't be afraid to ask people for coffee or for lunch. Um, I do a lot of that um, where people say, hey, would you, would you just give me 30 minutes? I want to you know, tell you what I'm trying to do. I spoke um, last Saturday for an Urban League event, and I had a young man who was a part of a group that performed there walk up and say, Mr. McShepard, I like what you said. I want, I want you to be my mentor. And Monday morning, I had an email from him saying, uh, if you can meet me Tuesday uh, after school. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, I have to meet this kid because he's, he's on the ball. Uh, he's at early college at John Hay High School. But, uh, um, but I'm going to go and meet with him. And, uh, you know, and that's the kind of thing, I, you know, there, there's people in their 30s that wouldn't have that kind of confidence. So, um, I think it's just important to know that Cleveland, by and large, is a, an open community, and if you all reach out, people typically will take meetings. And if they don't, call me and I'll help twist their arm. <laughs> so, oh, here it is. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, first two uh, reflections that I have. One is uh, the question about emerging versus leader. I think you're right on the cusp. You're going to get there soon. <laughs> Keep at it. <laughs> The, the, the second two more years, two more years. The second is I loved in your prepared remarks that you dropped two or three times the term power broker. And I know Dave Abbott really appreciates that because he's going to send uh, books out to everyone now. Oh, yeah. A reflection that I ask you to make is Cleveland has changed over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, you uh, being at RPM, it's rare for a major corporation to be headquartered in Northeast Ohio, Key Bank, others, yes. but. We no longer have National City, TRW, Forest City, Paul Clark. Who, how do you see the, the future of the corporate leadership in town, especially when it comes to the civic realm in philanthropy and leadership? What's your, what's your forecast 10 years as we are no longer getting Amazon? Yeah, well, it's a good question. I, I'm actually encouraged by what the tea leaves are saying about the future of corporate America because of what they call activist investors. And we are hearing as publicly traded companies from a lot of our shareholders that they expect not just bottom line profits, but they're starting to ask about diversity and, uh, and leadership and diversity in your, your board and 
Um, what are you doing in terms of uh, community social responsibility? Uh, what are you doing in terms of the environment? I mean, we're hearing those things and everyone is taking notice. Um, I'm, I'm in a national, um, I chair a committee for the National Association of Manufacturers, which is the largest trade association in the country. So I'm in the room with all these major corporations and they're all talking about it. So I think that uh, we will start to see companies, uh, whether they like it or not, have to pay more attention to that very issue. And um, I would just hope that Cleveland corporations will continue what has been an unbelievable ride because Cleveland has always had some of the most philanthropic, magnanimous corporations. And um, as some of the corporations move out and other leaders come in, you just hope that those leaders will continue that. And um, I think that's where um, those of us that are in those spaces and corporate philanthropy and other uh, government affairs spaces, uh, the data, uh, we, uh, we should be encouraging um, you know, companies to follow suit and showing them and sharing with them the benefit of doing that. Hi. Hi, Cheryl. So I want you to, to expand on courage. It does take courage to run for public office. It does take courage when you're on the board of trustees to, to make a statement that's different from everyone else. And being a leader is very lonely sometimes. Yes. Um, but it is the courage or faith in your beliefs and a long-term commitment to democracy and that democracy is uh, embracing of differences. So speak to us about how you believe in the differences you bring to politics and to the corporate structure. Well, sure, you said it so well. I don't know if I need to <laughs> add, add much more to it. Um, I just think, um, I mean, you're talking to the first African-American president of the Union Club of Cleveland. Let's just be honest. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, there will be times when you will be tested and challenged and uh, we'll have to talk about things that you didn't think you'd have to talk about. But um, we are all talented and gifted and uh, blessed in many ways. And we cannot be afraid because not only do our lives and our families' uh, lives depend on it, but our community depends on it. We are all serving on boards and, and commissions and committees because we want to make those organizations and ultimately the community a better place. So if, if you believe that, you own it and you carry it with you and then that starts to wither away the, the, uh, the nervousness and the timidity around speaking on those issues because you're doing it for the right reason. You're not doing it because, you shouldn't be doing it because you want self-aggrandizement, you're doing it because you really want to make communities better and know that no change has ever happened without struggle and uh, we have to be willing to push through and know that um, Sometimes when you, uh, I guess the one advice, uh, piece of advice I would give is that we have to learn how to disagree without being disagreeable and to present alternative uh, views in a way that is respectful because when you do that, people really do respect, and are, uh, respect what you're doing and are more likely to listen and, and not tune you out at every meeting because they know, oh, here he comes again with that same old, you know. But uh, it is important. And, um, I think, again, talking to other established leaders about how they have dealt with some of those challenges uh, will go a long way. I certainly have asked a lot of established leaders when I've gotten in trouble or, or faced difficult times, you know, how have you uh, dealt with these kind of situations in the past? And uh, they've always given good advice.
We have been hearing from Randy McShepard, Board Chair of Policy Bridge, Co-Founder of Policy Bridge, Vice President of Public Affairs, and Chief Talent Officer at RPM International. And that brings us to the end of our forum, but certainly not the end of the conversation. I want to thank you, Randall McShepard. I want to thank you, members and friends of the City Club. Have a wonderful day. Keep having this conversation. Our forum is adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.